Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the SAIA graduate students at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Tolomedi. And I'm your co-host, Sarah Clapman. And we are here with Liz Sutherland. Thank you for being here. Thanks. This will be fun. <laughs> I, I hope you do enjoy this time, time with us and thank you for coming on. So, um, Liz, what is it that you do at Western? Are you a graduate student, master's or PhD? Yeah, so I have a couple different hats that I wear at Western. I work at Western Libraries in their Map and Data Center as their GIS specialist. So I work there full time now from home, not from there. But <laughs> I've also recently started a master's degree part time in the uh, FIMS department doing the Master's of Library and Information Sciences. I'm just in my second term now, so I'm very new to it, but it ties in really well with all the work and research I do at Western Libraries. So, a few different things. <laughs> oh, okay, that sounds like quite a lot of uh, organize organizational responsibilities, I'm guessing, uh, working with Western Libraries. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's kind of the stuff I'm good at, so I like being busy and having a lot of different things on the go, so. Okay. And uh, what is it, it is specifically that you keep organized or work with at, West, at Western Libraries? Yeah. So um, I mentioned I'm the GIS specialist, but a lot of people have no idea what GIS is. Uh, it's very jargony and an acronym, which kind of sucks, but it stands for Geographic Information Systems. So when I explain this to anybody, I like to break it down. It's kind of three main parts. It's the geography, and I would argue that anything and any piece of data has some sort of spatial component. So um, kind of anything can be mapped. The second piece is the information. So I deal with a lot of information relating to kind of spatial data. Um, and then the system. So we were chatting before this started right about ArcMap. Uh, that's just one of the softwares that I use to manipulate all that geospatial data. So in the context of Western libraries, this whole kind of GIS world comes together in a few different pieces. Um, I work with researchers to help them use GIS and access geospatial data within their projects. I curate a lot of geospatial data within Western libraries that you as graduate students have access to for your research. And then I also do a lot of workshops and teaching. So I get to talk to people who've never used GIS tell them how to incorporate it in their research, um, explain different products and softwares to them. And then all of that in the context of libraries is kind of a, a new thing. So even just starting my first term of this, this master's degree, I've learned a lot about kind of the different components of libraries that could be incorporated into the, the GIS side of things. Especially right now with all this uh, COVID stuff, uh, data online is a really big component of that. And with that, so is uh, the, the where of everything, right? Um, and there's been a lot of geospatial map products that have been released online that are really good. And there's been a lot that have been kind of really crappy and told a different message, right? So I do a lot. <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. I mean, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you must really like uh, imagery and ArcGIS to dedicate that much time just to curate it, organize it, and to teach it to students and probably, I'm assuming the public as well, if they're ever curious? Yep, so we're, the Map and Data Center, if you haven't been there, it's awesome. It's a lot of really cool globes, maps, um, digital products as well. There's even maps of Mars and the Moon. Um, 
it's just in the basement of Walden. It's a really great place, but um, yeah, I, I, it's open to anybody. So anybody from the public can come in and look at the, the data and I can help them figure out what they kind of need to find and what they're using it for. Um, I've also given a lot of tours to high school students and things like that. So it's a really great learning space for anybody who wants to explore. So you mentioned, Liz, uh, working with other researchers and with students uh, to find ways to incorporate maps into their projects. And I wondered what that looked like for you on a day to day basis. Yeah, so I work with kind of two different sized projects, I guess. Um, so my office in the Map and Data Center in the basement of Weldon is open all the time for kind of consultations. So I quite often will just have people walk into my office and ask me to help them with a particular kind of task. Um, so perhaps they need to uh, map their study sites um, for their research project. Perhaps they need to uh, create a raster analysis of imagery that they're looking at. And so I can help them kind of access the software, the data, and kind of offer my expertise about what I kind of think they should do to approach their problem. Um, but then I'm also involved in a lot of kind of larger scale research projects. So for example, the main one that I work with is called the Northern Tornadoes Project. And this is a project that is uh, aiming to map every tornado in Canada, which is uh, oh, wow. no small task. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you may not have thought that there were even tornadoes in Canada, but I'm just looking at my stats. And last year there were 207 tornadoes and extreme wind events that they did look at. So no way more. Yeah. Even one up in the Northwest Territories. So that was mm -hmm. unexpected. Are, are they as big as the ones that you get in United like mid like central United States? So they're not as severe as the kind of tornado alley of the states. Um, but there are larger ones that do occur. So all of ours are ranked on the enhanced Fujita scale. So you're able to kind of browse through the ones that they have classified and kind of see how intense they are. We do have kind of EF4 tornadoes that occur here, which are really high wind events, um, but not as, not as frequently. So a lot of the ones that we see are lower on the, lower on the scale. Hmm. But my, my role as part of that project is to offer them the GIS expertise that they need to both process all of the um, spatial data that they're collecting, as well as present it in uh, an open data site that the public can use and see to understand more about Canada's tornadoes. And that's kind of a really, kind of the piece that I'm most passionate about in regards to GIS is making data, especially research data accessible to anybody. Uh, maps, especially digital maps, are really great kind of universal language. There's no very complicated engineering terms that go along with them. You can just click explore and kind of see what tornadoes occurred in your backyard. So, I think, yeah, I think getting making it easier for the public to get this data and one be able to understand it is definitely a big and important step, especially in research or any type of research. I personally, especially if you're in geography, environmental sciences, geology, or construction, because you, yeah. you, you want to be able to tell, explain to them all these things that they probably have questions for or they're not aware of, but in a simple, easy manner. So, uh, but do they have, when you give them, like, make these open directories for the public, is, 
can you only access the data if you have certain programs or do you, can anyone who has a smartphone or a laptop should be able to download map, pre-made maps? Yeah, so that's a great question. And like GIS has been around for so many years that um, it started out as something that you needed specialized software to be able to access. However, nowadays with these open data sites specifically that I've been working to create, they're accessible to anybody. You don't need any fancy software. It's just a website that uses mapping and GIS technology to present data in a web browser. Of course, if you have a GIS software, you could download the data and conduct your own analysis to it, but you don't need that, not at all. And nowadays, you're not even limited to um, just one software. So you mentioned working with ArcMap before. Esri software costs a lot of money. It does a lot of really great things, but there's a lot of other open source alternatives out there as well. So GIS is more accessible now than it ever was before, and it's a really great thing. I like seeing that kind of change. Yeah, I use yeah, for me. I use Arc extensively for my research, and it's quite beneficial when you're part of an institution. They usually have a subscription that's already been paid for, so students are able to get it for yeah. free, which is very handy. Because I know once you lose that status, you have to pay for it yourself, and I don't know how much it is, but it's a it's like a few hundred something just to get a yearly subscription. So you don't have to use it constantly for it to be worth to worth it. No. But it's good that no. But it yeah, is good quite, that, um, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to agree with you. It is very pricey <laughs> software, and I'm so I'm so happy that it's actually Western Libraries that um, pays for and organizes the site license for everyone. So I've been able to be involved in those kinds of negotiations, which is kind of fun. <laughs> oh, that's well, perfect. Yeah, I have to thank them for that because it's really helped me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as somebody who has never touched ArcGIS except maybe in high school. Uh, doesn't know a lot about these fancy softwares, but is very intrigued by what you do. If I were just an average human being and I walked into the basement of Weldon and I checked out all the maps that you were working on, what do you think would be the most immediately interesting to somebody who has no training in cartography or GIS? Yeah, so I, I work a lot with teaching GIS to people who, like you, have never used it before. Even less so, you said you, you used it maybe in high school, which is something I never even learned. Um, and so there's a lot of really great kind of one-step, very easy-to-use softwares that you can get into. Um, so for example, there's a software out there called Story Maps. So it's an online um, es Esri software that basically I could teach you to use in an hour, not even. And what it does is it combines a narrative. So say you went on a really cool trip and you want to talk about it and you want to tell your, you know, your friends and family whereabouts you visited. Um, you could add all those points to a web map. You could attach photos to that web map. And then you could tell a little piece of narrative about each of the places you visited. And something like that, I could demo on the computers for you down there. I could show you how to do that. Um, and you probably have fun because it's not necessarily very complicated. I'm not teaching you what the word raster means and I'm not teaching you how to process terabytes worth of imagery, but I'm telling you how to have fun with maps. So to say, it sounds like a much easier version of Google Earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding, especially given that so many of the things that you're describing are um, common in 
uh, the kinds of technology that we have now where you know you can use google maps on your phone or track yourself in space and time and that really applies to what you're doing yeah yeah and that's um something that a lot of people have interacted with gis without knowing it um i think you know after this whole uh, COVID-19 outbreak, a lot of more people are going to be familiar with web dashboards that are used to summarize data really quickly and show people what's going on in the world in a very visual and kind of interactive um, display of information. So it's definitely becoming a bigger thing that more people know what it is. But yeah, the first thing people think of is, you know, Google Maps. <laughs> it's more than that. <laughs> Yeah, you um, you mentioned at one point um, in our earlier discussion, you were talking about the the Loyalist Project and the sort of social geographic mapping of different groups of people. And as a history nerd, I find that super duper interesting. Do you do you find that you lean more toward sort of a physical geo geography or a social geography, or you know, what's your favorite thing to map? <laughs> wow, what a great question. Um, well, I mean the kind of more social side of things is definitely not my strong suit having been involved in uh mapping the loyalists um with the huron uh huron history department and uh the researchers over there was really new to me um but i'm always down to to learn something new and it was really interesting to see how people move over time um in my undergrad i definitely focused more on the physical side of things i took a lot of fluvial geomorphology classes i love looking at you know how rivers move sediment um, and how that can be analyzed in a gis i also took a lot of geology classes um, my first job out, out of my undergrad was working at a geology library which was uh really cool because i got to map rocks all day um so i'm definitely more from that side but GIS has taught me that there are so many things that you can map that I, I don't necessarily like to put myself in a box. I like to hear and let the researcher tell me about their specialty and then I let them know how GIS can help them map their data. And, with, and so with your background in maps, I kind of have to know when you're downstairs in the basement of Weldon, is it all digital or do you still have a lot of old uh, paper traditional maps lying around that you get to, I wouldn't even say peek, get to browse occasionally if you want to find something new? Yeah, um, so most of my role um, as the GIS specialist is focused on the technical and the more IT, like the software side of things, but the, the Map and Data Center itself is actually the second largest physical map collection um, in Canada. So we have over 250,000 maps. Um, we have hundreds of thousands of air photographs. Um, we have a lot of really cool atlases and globes, all physically like right outside my office door. So it's a very kind of good um relaxing walk to kind of inspire myself and go dig through the the drawers and drawers of maps that we have um we even have a marauders map and 3d maps and that kind of thing so it's a kind of you feel like a child exploring a treasure chest of really cool old maps and i love i love seeing that even in a a world where GIS is slowly replacing the physical map, that physical maps still have a place and are still important. Mm -hmm. 
it is it's good that we're moving to digital but sometimes it's always good to look back and appreciate the traditional method to see what it is like how it actually brought us to where we are in terms of mapping mapping anything because i think i don't know is there anything we can't really map i don't know if there is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i i love it when uh people challenge me i always say like you can you can map anything and people often try and challenge me on that and say well what about what about my my thoughts i can't map my thoughts well you can you can map map them kind of conceptually in a brainstorm you can give it a kind of physical location you can build whatever Cartesian plane you want to build, but you can also map genomes on the microscopic scale of your actual brain. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. And I always think outside the box and think creatively. You can map anything. Yeah, it's definitely good to, it does bring a lot of insight saying like when we mean mapping, we don't always necessarily mean places on a piece of paper. It could be so many things. It's very interdisciplinary. Yeah, yeah, for well, sure. Yeah which is what I really love about it. And it sounds like your passion for it ever since undergrad's really driven you to keep on learning more about it, not just in the software side of things, but the traditional and the different uh, research areas that use mapping to move yeah. forward. Yeah, for sure. I've always been, I've always loved GIS and maps. And I was quite lucky that when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to pursue GIS as my undergrad. And when I was in my undergrad, I knew I wanted to get a job when I graduated and I wanted to work um, kind of in the field of kind of map libraries and this kind of map and data mixed together. So I'm very lucky because a lot of people that I kind of have crossed paths with in my GIS journey have only stumbled across it later in their lives or after trying a different undergrad degree and having to switch over. So. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's cool to think about maps as something that you can do with your whole life in a way of understanding the world and sort of inscribing a landscape with with your knowledge and your experiences. And I think it's so neat that you make it so interdisciplinary by pulling in knowledge and information and kind of putting them in space and time in your own way. I think that's such a, an interesting sort of philosophical thing to do. And it's so cool that you had such a passion for it for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, you totally hit it right on the head, right? It's, um, it's really important for us to know the whys of the where's. And that's what GIS gives us the power to do. And that's kind of the piece that I'm most, most intrigued by for sure. And finding that passion very early on, like you said, high school yeah. as well. Not, you, knew, you knew what you wanted to do from the get-go, which not a lot of people can say. So but was, it some, was it like a class in, during your high school that said, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to learn more about art. I want to learn, learn more about mapping and what it can be applied to. Or was it, or was it maybe from a teacher or something else that inspired you? Yeah, so it was kind of a few different things. I um, moved a lot growing up, so I lived in a lot of different places. I grew up out on Vancouver Island um, and was very outdoorsy. So I've always loved maps. So I used to kind of have an atlas on my bedside table and look through it for like cool places, place names in Canada and kind of map out where I wanted to go on my next road trip when I was like 10, can't drive, but I was mapping it out already. <laughs> And uh, from a young age, one of my best friends, her mom was a cartographer. And so we'd be 
on playdates at her house and her mom would be on AutoCAD at the time making these really cool drawings. And I used to think that, wow, that's a, that would be a really cool job to be able to make maps for a living. Of course, at that point, I didn't really know what GIS was and my high school didn't offer any GIS courses, but I was lucky enough to find a love of geography and uh, the GIS program at Western was really good at introducing me to all the joys of ARC and other, <laughs> other GIS software. So I built that later on, but yeah. And with this, with your position at Western Libraries and all the skills you picked up, are you hoping to uh, work your way up there or apply them somewhere else if you ever had the chance? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, this I've been working at Western Libraries now for about coming on two years now. Um, and it's a really great job because I get to work with so many different researchers at the university as well as librarians and archivists. And it's given me a lot of ideas for different kind of research opportunities that I could get into, um, different kind of job opportunities that I could explore as well, um, that kind of thing. So it's it's been a really great really great job so far and I'm looking forward to kind of what extra skills my my uh, graduate degree is going to give me as well. Well that sounds really neat so if you could pick one direction for your future career I know that you're so good at so many things and you you enjoy so many things but if you could picture like a dream job based on the knowledge that you've accrued so far and the skills what would that look like? Man, like that's a that's a great question, right? This feels like a job interview. <laughs> um, but I think whenever I think about the pieces of GIS that I like the most, um, it's definitely working with a lot of different projects. Um, I don't like to focus on just one thing. I like to help as many people as possible use GIS in as many different ways as they can. Um, and the piece of that that I like the most is definitely kind of the teaching aspect. So teaching GIS and walking people through how to use GIS is kind of the, my favorite piece of that. So I'd love to teach more, um, whether that be in a classroom environment or workshops. So I'd love to see kind of my career um, build into that a little bit more as well. And a master's is definitely going to help me with that because you can't really teach at a university without a master's. <laughs> Uh, I think I have to ask this question, probably not to you, to Sarah as well. Your favorite type of map that you've ever seen, if you had to pick one, which one would it be? Okay, I got, I got mine because people ask me this. Okay, you go <laughs> first. Um, so I've never seen anything like this in my in my life. It's not really like, I guess, a map, but when I was in Boston years ago, we were just kind of walking down the streets of Boston and we passed this thing called the Maparium. Um, and it is literally a stainless or stained glass globe that you walk into and through and it's lit from the outside in. So it's like you're inside a globe. And that was like the best, that's the coolest map. I want one in my, in my house. Um, I want like my bedroom inside that globe. It was just like <laughs> the coolest thing you you'll ever see. That is so cool. I know. What about you, Sarah? <laughs> I think for me, I'm very directionally challenged. Like I can get lost walking in a straight line. So when I discovered Google Maps, it just changed my life because suddenly <laughs> I could see where I was going. 
then, oh, that's the direction. Oh, that's what I just left. And it completely changed my sense of space. And also I don't get lost as much. So that's probably my favorite. That's such a pro. Yeah. I love um, being a geographer. Everyone thinks you're gonna, you're gonna like tell them where to go without having to check Google Maps or anything. But I still <laughs> I still do my research. <laughs> Ooh, I think if I had to pick one, it would be. You guys might if you guys don't know this, you might look it up. It's from the Magellan mission that went to Venus, and they used radar to look at the surface of the planet. One of the first um, global images, and it absolutely looks stunning. You get to see where all the volcanoes are on the planet, because oh. you can't see through it using regular, like, I say optical imagery, so the same light that we use to see everything else, because it's covered in clouds. But using radar, you can create these beautiful maps to get an idea of what it looks like on the surface. So like I would magic. highly recommend, that's cool. yeah, yeah that's I'd say funny. both of you and anyone listening, I highly recommend looking up the Magellan uh, image of Venus. It's just absolutely beautiful. That's so cool. cool. Famous <laughs> cartographer too, right? Yeah, I very like famous. That. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I th we are just about out of time for this episode. So thank you so much for coming on, Liz. This has been a very fun episode, learning about maps, arc, and all the skills that you can gain just from exploring the world that we live in yeah it's it's been fun man i could talk about maps all day this was like <laughs> went by so quick <laughs> we wish you would i know <laughs> well if you ever want to talk more about maps are there ways for people to learn more about your research the work you do at western libraries is there like a website or social media that they can use to definitely so western libraries has a great website um we have a map and data center page with all the cool things about gis you can book consultations with me through there I'm also on Twitter. I love uh, academic Twitter, so you can follow me at Cardo Liz. Um, and Western Libraries, of course, also has a Twitter, and they are very good. I thoroughly enjoy their posts as well. And that's Western You Live. Oh, that's excellent. Lots of ways to contact us. Oh, well, hopefully, everyone listening, if you ever want to learn more about mapping, you now know where to go. Yeah, I know. So. I'm going to visit. <laughs> so. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin Tolametti, and my co-host was Sarah, and we've been speaking with Liz Sutherland, and this episode was produced by Laura. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or in podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select Podcast Happening Uploads to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great night. Stay safe. Keep social distancing.